Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to Byline Radio, or if you're listening on Catch Up to the Byline Times podcast. This time, how free is the free press when it accepts bungs from the government? Boris Johnson's former advisor, Dominic Cummins, has said that newspapers negotiated direct bungs for themselves in phone calls with Boris Johnson worth tens of millions of pounds. Cummings claims there were no government officials monitoring the calls and that the Prime Minister told officials to send the money dressed up as COVID relief. These are shocking allegations. Could the government have sought to buy favour with friendly newspapers by, in essence, buying them off? Has taxpayers' cash been spent shoring up support for Johnson in the press? In a moment, we'll hear from Byline Times writer Brian Cathcart, who kicked off the story, and his colleague, our Chief Investigations Editor, Sam Bright. But keen to hear from you as well. If you're listening live at Byline Radio via Twitter Spaces, feel free to join in. Once you've heard the basic parts of the discussion, there's a little microphone icon in the bottom left-hand corner of your screen. Just tap that to request access. Maybe you'll have a comment to make. Maybe you'll have a question to answer. We'll do our best to accommodate you. Worth letting you know as well that the new print edition of the Byline Times leads on this story with the brilliant headline, Frenemies of the People, with pictures of three proprietors friendly to Johnson, the owners of the Times and Sun, Rupert Murdoch, the Daily Mail and the Telegraph. If you want to support free and fearless journalism that isn't supported by bungs from the government, please subscribe to the Byline Times. You'll get more details at our website, bylinetimes.com. Let's hear more now from Byline Times writer Brian Cathcart, who, as I say, has been leading this story. Uh, Brian, welcome. Uh, Sam, very graciously, when I approached him about this the other day, having been read about it and been scandalised by bylinetimes.com, he said, we've got to have Brian on. Brian is the source of all this. (laughs) You're the source of all the mischief, Brian. Come on, then. Uh, Where where did you get the story and, and what exactly did you identify? Well, I think it's it's worth saying uh, straight off that we don't depend on Dominic Cummings for our information on this. The evidence for it, I mean, has been in plain sight from the very beginning. We knew right at the beginning of the first lockdown that the press was lobbying the government very hard for support. So what had happened was their advertising, not surprisingly, since people weren't able to go out and buy things, um, their advertising had collapsed and their print sales had collapsed uh, and they were was screaming for, for help. Like a great many other people in a lot of other industries, they wanted help. And eventually help, of course, came in lots of forms. But in this case, they were not making no secret of the fact that they were lobbying. And then bang, suddenly, the government announced uh, that it was giving them support. The Treasury said that they would have a £35 million bung over three months and that this would be accompanied by or but it would it would support in some way a an advertising campaign to um, promote public health uh, messages from the government. So we knew that. There was no secret about it. Uh, what was, I suppose, a bit secret is what happened next. It went on and on and on. In fact, I think it may have run for as much as two years. There was never any announcement about how the money was spread out over that time, but it was certainly more than £35 million. It may have been as much as £100 million. And we don't know who it went to. And of course, the extreme likelihood, since they were the leading participants in this advertising campaign, is the the big um, corporate newspaper groups, most of which are very wealthy and never needed support. I mean, if you're owned by a billionaire, 
how can you possibly justify taking public funds to support your business in the event of a, a, of a pandemic crisis? And I suppose the argument would be, Brian, that a free press is an important guarantor of democracy. Other countries, I know Sweden, for example, was doing this, helped to support their newspapers during the pandemic, and other industries were supported as well. And that in doing so, the government was providing a public service. It was also using those newspapers to promote its message about the pandemic and safety and so on. So to what extent is, in your view, is this politically problematic? <laughs> because I think um, uh, it's that point. If you are, well, but there, there are several approaches to this, but the, the key one is in all of the country, in all of the industries that were in difficulty, I would have said among the very last people in the queue in, 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 on merit, for public money were Rupert Murdoch, a multi-billionaire, the surviving Barclay brother, owner of the uh, Telegraph, another billionaire, Lord Rothermere, another billionaire, uh, Yevgeny Lebedev, another certainly extremely wealthy man, uh, oligarch, uh, or the son of an oligarch. Um, uh, the, these people have to be at the back of the queue. They have very deep pockets. How can they possibly go begging to the public, that's begging to the taxpayer, for money to help their business when there are an infinite number of businesses uh, that needed support that actually needed it and might not, you know, might not survive? Uh, it's just and, – and, you know, these companies all got the, the furlough money as, as well. I mean, it's not like this is – you know, this was their own special bung and they didn't take anything else. They got the furlough money as well. Uh, yeah, it is, so their their workers' wages were covered by the furlough money. That yeah, very important part of their cost base was already being covered by the taxpayer. Well, it, it certainly was within within days of the of the of the of what was going on. Yeah, I mean uh, they 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 should have been at the back of the queue, and they barged, they elbowed their way to the front because they basically have Boris Johnson's phone number. <laughs> and this is where Dominic, Cumming, Dominic Cummings' testimony comes in, doesn't it? Because obviously, as you say, much of this information, in a sense, is in plain sight, and people can make their own minds up whether multimillionaires and billionaires, many of whom, most of whom, live offshore and benefit from the tax arrangements uh, associated with, with that, whether they should have been the beneficiaries of these handouts. But we've also got Dominic Cummings making the point that newspaper proprietors were able to call up Boris Johnson in a way that you and I never would be able to do and have personal and private conversations about this subject with the Prime Minister. That's what Cummings has said. Yes, I mean, he's, he said it in two contexts, and it's, it's, worth, it's worth noting the other one as well. So they were, they were ringing, proprietors and editors were ringing him and, and leaning on him to do something special for him. And, and the context of the first of Dominic Cummings's tweets is darkly funny because he, had, he was in an exchange with, with a, a lawyer on Twitter and the lawyer, you know, he was telling the lawyer how it came about that, that there was an exemption from lockdown provisions uh, for um, grouse shooting. And he said, well, it's just that so many MPs have an interest in this. So many Tory MPs have an interest in this grouse shooting business that, you know, they were just leaning on Boris Johnson until he just gave way and said, yeah, yeah, OK, have a, have a special dispensation. 
And the lawyer said, or somebody else said in the conversation said, um, uh, uh, do you have any other examples of people leaning on Boris Johnson in that way to get favours? And he said, yeah, the press, the bungs, the, um, the, uh, the calls that he took with no officials listening in, um, uh, leaning on him to help them, uh, and, and, and then his decision to, 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 to give them money dressed up as, as, as COVID relief. That's the context of the first one. The context of the second one is kind of parallel because the newspaper owners hated uh, lockdown because, of course, it stopped people buying newspapers and it suppressed advertising. They, um, when lockdown was over and people were still working from home, and indeed it remains the case now, you will have noticed that the Tory press is furiously campaigning to get people into their offices. Now, why are the Tory press furiously campaigning for that? Because for, it's the pub for the public good? No, it's because if people leave leave home and go out, they buy a newspaper or they pick up a free newspaper as as they commute. It's it's about sales of newspapers. It's it's extraordinary. And and you know, there's a line in the Dominic, second Dominic Cummings tweet where he's saying the newspaper proprietors were on the line saying, "We'll give you whatever you want." You know, they, we'll do whatever favors you like. Well, look at look at the front pages today. You know, you'll see that's the quid pro quo. They're they're helping, of course. You know, they were in bed with these people all, all the time. But it, what we have is a little window into the into the kind of intimate relationship between uh, the papers and the government. And of course, not just a little window in that. In another sense, of course, we have the knowledge that this money was given. And uh, that they won't tell us how much was given, who it went to, what the terms were, what process was followed in allocating this money. They won't tell us any of that. It's just, I, I mean, I have asked, I've gone to freedom of information requests. Uh, a Lib Dem MP, Daisy Cooper, has also asked, you just get a stonewall answer. Oh, well, that you look in the general figures of cabinet office spending, where, of course, you can look, but they won't tell you the answers. <laughs> yeah, this is our money, taxpayers' money, yet it is not clear to taxpayers where that has been spent. So look forward to, I don't know, the Taxpayers' Alliance perhaps taking this up as a campaign. <laughs> but I shan't be holding my breath. I'm just going to quote uh, from the latest bylinetimes.com article about this, saying, barring tiny sums, this money has gone to the big newspaper groups, including the big regionals and The Guardian. But Sam, Small independent news publishers, which also lobbied the government and which were far more vulnerable in the early pandemic period, received next to nothing. And this is the contrast, isn't it, Sam, that the people who were friends of Boris Johnson, either politically or indeed in some cases personally, were the beneficiaries of what the article describes as largesse. Other people in the same business, mm. smaller, less powerful, less influential, were starved of cash. Yeah, we didn't see any of the of the money at byline, or maybe, maybe Peter. Maybe we should ask Peter Dukes. Maybe he did, and nobody else did. But um, I highly, highly doubt that's the case. Um, no, we had to live off, you know, delivering big stories like these, um, you know, that Brian's done and, and other people, and you know, the the work that we've done on the the crony contracts um, to get the support of readers to to back us through the pandemic. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it just shows the the nepotism in the industry, the sort of cosy relationship that's extended all the way through. I mean, as Brian says, this isn't 
really very surprising. It's merely um, a manifestation of how the system works. Um, we've obviously seen it in recent weeks, the fact that um, the right-wing press has sought to distract from Boris Johnson's law-breaking whilst hammering Keir Starmer at every possible opportunity for, um, for his alleged um, law-breaking. And um, this just goes to show the pools in which politicians and the right-wing press swim and how close those relationships are, Adrian. Yeah, and there are these very close connections, aren't there, between Downing Street, The Sun, The Daily Mail. There is a, a kind of a nexus, an incestuous linking of groups in Downing Street with mm. those who report on them. So there is a – we're suggesting it – with this article uh, that there is a, a kind of financial relationship and a, a kind of you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours relationship. But that also extends to personal links, doesn't it? People who've worked on both sides of the Downing Street, Fleet Street barrier. Yeah, it's a revolving door. I mean, the biggest irony is that James Slack, who was Boris Johnson's director of communications, um, for, for a period of time in 2021, has now gone on um, to work for The Sun um, as its deputy editor, um, a paper which has stoically refused to cover um, the vast number of stories about Partygate. Um, Jack Doyle, who went on to replace um, Jane Slack, um, was, a, was, a, uh, was an editor at the, at the Daily Mail. Um, so it is. It's uh, Harry Cole, the um, political political editor of the Sun, is um, Carrie Johnson's uh, ex boyfriend. So it's no, it is. It's these are these are circles beyond public view, the records of which we rarely get to to see the conversations that are had, um, and yet it it, it forms such. Um, the I think these people have such a great influence over the political understanding of the majority of people, and yet it's all conducted um, behind closed doors in Westminster. Yeah. What about the content of these articles that the government acknowledges were paid for? I mean, there was an element of this which was to to support papers and keep them going because of the collapse of advertising, but there was an element of it which was also pandemic-related. What can we say about those articles that were then fed into newspapers which accepted the money? Well, I think it's quite instructive. I mean, Brian, when we were putting together the story, you um, put a screenshot, didn't you, in, in our chat of um, an, a relatively new article by The Guardian that was paid for under this government scheme that was talking about how um, Job Centre Plus has helped a startup to flourish during the, the pandemic, which does seem quite tan- – that's not a public health message. That seems very much promoting the government's – line on its sort of its its political successes rather than telling people to stay indoors and wear masks and that sort of thing you know it does seem to have stretched beyond the boundaries of what it was uh, originally conceived to do yes i mean i'd absolutely agree with that um i i think it's, it's worth looking at as well when they launched the scheme it was explicit that one of its missions believe it or not was to help maintain a national unity during the time of crisis. 
Now, I, you know, the newspapers and journalists may have many, many missions, but maintaining national unity is only the kind of mission they have in a dictatorship. Their, their, their job is not to hold the nation together. It is to, to help the nation understand and, and inform the nation. This is, uh, you know, and, and I mean, it was explicit. It was also in the message that um, the Telegraph management sent to its staff. Here we've got this thing going on. It's, we're going to help support, help maintain national unity. Well, I, I mean, that's, that's simply corrupt. That made me think. In the days of George III, fully 200 years ago, the government used to pay subsidies to the press to keep it friendly. There was a, a secret account, a large secret account, which they, they just threw money at the papers to keep them loyal. And uh, that was generally accepted. It was generally accepted afterwards, was corrupt and wrong and not in keeping with a healthy media environment. And here we have the same thing happening. You know, um, the government giving a slush fund of money to, to its, its press friends with, with a role to maintain national unity. Thank you very much. What does that mean? That means covering up all the corrupt contracts that Sam and others have been so, so successful exp exposing. Um, does that mean, is that the role, covering that sort of stuff up? Because that's what they did. I'm Adrian Goldberg. You're listening to Byline Radio, or if you're listening on Catch Up, you're listening to the Byline Times podcast, and we're talking about bungs for billionaires or how the free press was bought, talking about significant sums of money running into hundreds of millions of pounds that were used to subsidise mainstream newspapers during the pandemic. And we're just casting a little bit of doubt on the motives of the government in spending the money and those newspaper proprietors, many of them with deep pockets already, in accepting the cash. If you want to support the kind of free and fearless journalism that we do at Byline, if you want to support Byline Radio or the Byline Times podcast, please think about taking out a subscription to the Byline Times. It's our wonderful monthly newspaper, and this story is leading our next forthcoming edition with the great headline, from uh, our editor, Hardeep Matharu, frenemies of the people. I love that. So take out a subscription to Byline Times. You'll get details over at our website, bylinetimes.com. You'll get a great monthly newspaper. You'll help support the website, Byline TV, and Byline Radio, and the Byline Times podcast. I'm just thinking, Sam, you know, there is an irony here that you have these wealthy newspaper owners banking the cash from the government and, to some extent, diligently towing the government's line in terms of the pandemic, but not all of their outlets and not all of their commentators did so. So I think, for example, of Rupert Murdoch-owned talk radio in particular, which was very sceptical of the official line on COVID. And you look at, at quite a few of the Telegraph's columnists as well. Now, you can argue that this shows the independence of the press, that even despite accepting the, these gifts from government, that there was an independent-minded streak within these newspapers. You, you could also look at it that here they are, they're taking the money, they're doing what the government wants them to do. At the same time, they're thumbing their nose to the government and doing what the heck they want to do anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, it's undermining the message that other parts of their outlets might be might be making. Well, exactly. The national unity thing was slightly undermined by the, you know, the borderline, um, you know, uh, COVID denial of some of the commentators. Uh, I think it's I think it's instructive. I think it really shows uh, who's running the show. 
I mean, uh, an article that we'd pre- we'd previously published um, was about a tweet that the government had sent uh, the Department of Health during the pandemic that was criticising a Daily Mail article. And um, Freedom of Information Records showed that the Daily Mail complained to the Department of Health and forced the Department of Health to delete its tweet. So the, the, the newspapers have such an influence over the government that it can literally ask it to change what it's saying about coronavirus, about a deadly pandemic. It's just, it, it, it's sort of, um, it's beyond belief, um, the level of their influence. I think as well, one, one of the things we've looked at over the past week, um, is coming second claim that said that, as, as Brian mentioned, that said that um, newspapers have been lobbying the government to sort of ease lockdown restrictions as quickly as possible to urge people back to the office. And we had a look at the the records of meetings between Boris Johnson and newspaper editors and proprietors in late September 2020, when he was considering imposing a second lockdown. And Boris Johnson held nine meetings in three days with uh, senior figures at all the right-wing papers, including Rupert Mur- Murdoch, um, his underling Rebecca Brooks, um, uh, the, the Barclay brother, um, Lord Rothermere of the Daily Mail. And then literally one or two days after, Johnson uh, decides against a circuit breaker lockdown and in favour of quite light um, COVID restrictions being reimposed. And we all know what happened after that. We had to lock down hard a few months later. Uh, and we can't prove that, you know, what was, which is part of the transparency problem that Brian's talking about. We can't prove what they were talking about in these meetings. But um, if, if Cummings is to believe, um, a degree of lobbying against a lockdown certainly would have taken place. And we know from the front pages of, of the newspapers that that's what they were saying publicly as well. Yeah, and uh, talking of meetings, I just love this note in the story that Johnson was at the Climate Change Summit in Glasgow, COP26. He flew back. I'll just let that delicious irony sink in for a moment. (laughs) He flew back from COP26, this vital climate change conference, to attend a reunion party of Telegraph journalists at the Garrick Club in London. Dominic Cummings claims that Johnson says the Telegraph is his real boss. And again, Brian, you know, so many of these things are said by Johnson tongue in cheek, but you look at the actions, you look at the behavior and you look at comments like that he made about the Telegraph being his real boss. You look at his tendency throughout the pandemic always to be pushing for more, in inverted commas, freedom, fewer, what many people would say, were protections, which very much chimed with the Telegraph's broader editorial line on on COVID. Absolutely. Um, uh, I mean, it, it's um, none of us should ever forget, because it's it's we're living it out, is that Boris Johnson is a newspaper columnist, in fact, a very highly paid newspaper columnist for the Telegraph, and he's taking a break from that to be prime minister. Um, that's his real calling. That's what he likes doing. Uh, according to Cummings, um, he got, you know, he used to moan about the, how tedious it was to be prime minister. He just wanted to go away and write. The relationship between these papers and this government is, in fact, a kind of beyond analysis. I, I reached a point where I stopped trying to work out who made which decision or whose idea 
you know, a decision was. I think there's a hive mind at work here that runs all the way through these right-wing papers and across the leadership of the government. So, you know, there are people who, they don't need to be told what to do. They wake up in the morning knowing what has to be done today to fulfill the mission, like, you know, the bees in the hive. And I think that's, um, that's an easier way of looking at it. So, for example, when you see all the favors that the Johnson government does for the newspaper business, um, all the all the tweets and all the treats, and it's not just um, you know it, uh, this all in all together bung for billionaires that we're talking about now. It's all sorts of little legislative things that they are doing. So, for example, they are um, going as they say they're going to repeal um, Section Forty, the last remaining element of the Leveson uh, uh, scheme. They say they're going to repeal that. Junk that. That's something the press wanted for ages and ages and ages. Another symptom of it is in that famous moment where Johnson, in kind of flailing mode in the Commons, attacked Keir Starmer and talked about the Jimmy Savile case and what his role, I mean, uh, completely untruthfully about what um, uh, Starmer's case was. He also said that Starmer had prosecuted journalists and this is one of the abiding grievances, particularly of journalists in the Murdoch Empire, but it goes across a Fleet Street that some journalists were prosecuted in the course of the phone hacking inquiries and bribery inquiries. And uh, some of them were convicted and some of them weren't. But as far as Fleet Street is concerned, the whole thing was an outrage. Journalists, you know, should be above the law is basically their line. And Johnson, there was Johnson, prime minister, been prime minister for more than two years, standing in the, at, the, at the dispatch box and accusing Keir Starmer of prosecuting journalists as if that was everything they do, everything they do is informed by this common interest they have. Mm. And let us not, of course, forget that Leveson 2, which was the part of the inquiry that would have investigated the links between the press politicians and the media was canned admittedly not by johnson it was canned by theresa may and many people seeing this effectively as her means of ensuring support from those same right-wing newspapers who otherwise might have turned against her much good it did her in the end it has to be said but that was very much done at the behest of those right-wing newspapers uh, brian i just want to read to you the government response and you know, it's only fair that we should do so, I think. And as I say, it, it, it's not only right-wing papers who received cash from the government during the time of the pandemic. The Guardian did as well, and that could hardly be considered a friend of Boris Johnson. So this is the statement uh, from a government spokesman. We recognise the valued role of national, local and regional newspapers and actively supported the whole industry during the COVID pandemic. This included investing more in advertising our public information campaign through national and local media and radio, which saw vital public health messaging advertised across approximately 600 titles, including UK nationals, regional dailies, weeklies and independent media. No title received preferred treatments and all outlets were selected by the government's external media planning and buying agency purely on their ability to engage with audiences at a national, regional, and local level. <laughs> You've got to hand it to them. They do bullshit, don't they? <laughs> I mean, 
where to begin with that? Okay. The whole industry. Well, it, it's not the whole industry. And they mentioned uh, some of it went to independent media. Well, it didn't. Um, peanuts went to independent media. Absolute peanuts. So my guess is that the lion's share of this money went to eight groups, eight companies, not 600 titles. Eight companies got this money. And three of those are, are companies that uh, run chains of regional newspapers with large numbers of titles. These are not nice companies. These are companies that have been closing titles and sacking journalists for 20 years. They are overseeing the appalling shrinkage of our regional and local journalism. Those three companies rewarded. Um, then the Murdoch Company, the Rothermere Company, the uh, Barclay Company, and the Lebedev Company all will have got large slices of this. And you can tell this because if it is an advertising campaign and, and you know, that's how it's uh, dressed up to use um, uh, Cummings's term. Um, if it's an advertising campaign, then they're paying the advertising rates that these companies charge. Now, a spread, a, a wraparound on the Daily Mail costs an absolute fortune. A wraparound on the Bolton advertiser costs peanuts. That's the that's what we're looking at here. The 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 big organisations, the rich organisations, swallowing large uh, slices of this money uh, and leaving not much for everybody else. I'd also say that in terms of the um, the whole project, it was negotiated by the News Media Association, which is the kind of marketing organisation of the. It's a club of the of the big the big newspaper groups including the guardian so there was no way of leaving the guardian out of this and and it's a kind of fig leaf for the whole operation that the guardian is in it they can say oh look the guardian got money that means it must have been fair well no that what the guardian got yeah i mean they played their part and they should be looking at their consciences about this they played their part in this but what the guardian got was a fraction of the whole package, which was uh, went into the to support the bottom line, largely of companies owned by billionaires who could have afforded to support their own bottom line better than we, the taxpayers, can. We haven't mentioned Sam, but I think it is worth doing so in this context. We've mentioned the, if you like, the three big right-wing newspaper proprietors, Rothermere, Barclay, and Rupert Murdoch. There is perhaps a, a special mention. <laughs> For Egveni Lebedev, the proprietor of the Independent, <laughs> yeah, Boris Johnson's best mate, um, who owns the the Independent and the Evening Standard, um, the Evening Standard in particular, which has um, been very complimentary of Boris Johnson, especially around election times. Uh, Evgeny Lebedev, of course, who was nominated to the House of Lords at the behest of Boris Johnson, and now sits there under the title Baron Lebedev of Hampton and Siberia, um, as John Sweeney originally reported for Byline Times and as the Times has reiterated recently, um, the security services weren't too happy about Lebedev being appointed to the Lords uh, and Boris Johnson, it seems, 
uh, lent on them to change their advice. But yeah, um, oh, I'm sorry, be- Sam. I was just thinking, uh, which zone of the tube Siberia's in? Is it, <laughs> is it zone nine? Well, I'm a northerner, Adrian. I haven't mastered the tube map, but even I can see that that one's not on there. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. Again, it's just it, it goes from the the sort of unbelievable to the absurd, doesn't it? The, the scale of this, the scale of this, uh, yeah, this crisis. Uh, one final thought, Sam, before we close. I was just conscious of the fact that you and I and, and then latterly Brian have spoken about doing this story on Byline Radio and on the Byline Times podcast for about a week now and for various reasons. No, no, nothing really to worry the, the listeners about. It, it, it hasn't happened until now. But we said, didn't we, that one interesting test would be to see from last week when we first chatted about it to this week whether it was picked up by any other media i'm guessing it hasn't been picked up in the times the sun the <laughs> daily mail the telegraph the guardian has it been picked up i don't know by the bbc they have a media show has it been picked up by other independent media has it appeared anywhere and clearly we believe in its significance and its importance at byline times has it appeared anywhere other than byline times right so i can give credit to a couple of other publications three in fact left foot forward which is an independent um left-wing media organization which again won't have received any of these bungs joe .co.uk. I don't know who owns Joe. Brian might know better than I do. And the London Economic. So three independent platforms have covered it in some form aside from us. And I believe it got a, a sort of deep mention in the Daily Mirror somewhere. But uh, on Googling, I, I can't find that anymore. So it must have been buried very, very far down. And the Mirror Group, albeit that it has, they're called Reach, is the company that owns the Mirror. Although they own the Mirror, which is notionally a left-wing newspaper, they will have received these bungs as well, won't they? But across all of their stables, not just not just for the Mirror. Absolutely, um, uh, they will have received a, a good chunk of it. Some of those six hundred titles, the regional and local, mm. uh, which which bulk up that number. Um, a lot of them are owned by Reach, which owns the Mirror. Yeah, uh, they will have been big beneficiaries. I mean, uh, you know, they're they're, they're not going to turn their back on it. Um, obviously, uh, or at least they didn't. Um, uh, of course, they should have, but they didn't. Um, uh, but they, um, uh, it's worth remembering the Mirror is presented to us as a very hard up uh, newspaper and uh, reaches a hard up organization. Um, it's, it's a couple of years since they were prepared to spend £200 million buying the Daily Express. Um, you know, they, they seem to have money when they want it. Um, but they didn't seem to have money when they wanted it, when they needed it at the outbreak of the pandemic, or so they told the government. There's no excuse for for what's happened. And I think the worst of it is, so I'm a, I'm a teacher of journalists, um, the worst of it is that there's no ethical excuse for what journalists have done. And this silence is an utter disgrace. These are people who who say them, you know, who boast and their own, the proprietors boast that they have a vital role to play in democracy. They go on and on about how they have this vital role. Their vital role is to inform the public. And when it came to the outbreak of a pandemic in this country, they went and asked the government for special money so that they could play this vital role. I mean, it's, 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 it's barely credible. 
they're being they were being paid to do something that was their job already and uh, you know paid extra as it were to do their job uh, i i don't think there can be any justification for it and i think journalists who participated in this or journalists who have turned a blind eye to it which is pretty well the you know the whole of fleet street need to ask themselves you know this was 100 million pounds that have go- could have gone to pay nurses more money but instead it went to help Rupert Murdoch and Lord Rothermere. And I think that's an utter scandal. Brilliant to hear from you, Brian. Thank you so much for your time. That's Brian Cathcart. Thanks also to uh, Sam Bright. Sam, also, let me remind you, is the author of a fantastic new book called Fortress London, Why We Need to Save the Country from Its Capital. You can hear Sam talking about that on a previous episode of the Byline Times podcast as well. Worth, well worth listening to, well worth reading as well. Terrific book. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Sam. Before we go, just a reminder, this is Adrian Goldberg. You've been listening to Byline Radio or on Catch Up to the Byline Times podcast. We have taken no bungs from the government and we do the bidding of no politician. We are free and we are fearless and we are independent. If that's what you think journalism ought to be about, then please take out a subscription to the Byline Times, our brilliant monthly newspaper. You'll get details of how to do that at our website, bylinetimes.com. Thanks very much indeed for listening. We'll see you again soon. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye now.